Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz singer and songwriter Candace Hoyes of the band Night Beauty. This new album taps into the transcendent communicative power shared amongst the trio to delve into the spiritual intimacies of black life. Candace opens up about the band and her life in music. This group, Pronounced Night Beauty, is a trio of black women artists who weave multiple strands of storytelling using voice, bass, electro percussion, and turntables. Joining Candace is bassist Mimi Jones and Grammy award-winning sound chemist Val Genti. She's got a great story. Enjoy this interview. I appreciate you taking a minute out. I love the album, and I want to, before we dive into the project, I want to know the last three years with COVID was quite a thing for all of us especially the world of musicians and jazz. How did you survive that time period? And how good does it feel to have a new album out now? Oh, oh, I mean, this album, I feel uh, spiritually really buoyed us. Um, this was something that I applied for uh, a grant when I had a very young baby and uh, you know, I was, I was, uh, kind of in a, in a sleepy haze in a way, but also profoundly, um, grateful for this new life in my, you know, you know, in my midst. And so it was an exciting time. And then, of course, never anticipated, uh, what this stretch of, um, you know, global tragedy and um, disruption, it turns out that for artists such as the three of us, disruption is where we thrive and um, it's so much a theme of the work that we're doing and our practice that we were really able to connect with each other across the distance and create in a way um, what's fascinating is we had a lot of um, performance before the world sort of shut down. Like we were at New York City Jazz Fest and um, in February, and that was where um, we did an hour-long improvisation on um, New York's WBGO on uh, Kiana Faircloth show, and that was, I think, some sort of historic event to have three women um, and to have three improvisers on afternoon jazz. And it was just really special. Um, you know, that festival uh, has been so supportive of our of our journey. And um, then everything happened in February into March. And we then inherited a really amazing opportunity um, to be a part of a project dedicated to the um, unquantifiable influence of Wayne Shorter and um, just a celebration at his birthday at the time. And so we recorded a piece of his for a compilation, which uh, he was, you know, basically kind of a, you know, he listened to everything and, we got this Zoom video back um, with him in conversation with some other absolutely incredible artists and talking about us. And that was hugely inspiring. So I would say we were really guided in many ways 
um, by people we admire and by our our own calling to what we wanted to say to just proceed through the pandemic with a recording. We did it that way. We were in the studio um, very deftly and um, intentionally and strategically around the different waves of COVID and um, largely, you know, obviously at our own um, expense. And we were just on the razor's edge and recording this. And so it's kind of a revelation to have it out in the world. And yet I don't think we ever stopped believing in it. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, Night Beauty. Like, what are, what's your hope for this album for the listener? Our hope is that the listener feels seen and heard um, and that the listener comes, you know, feels, feels um, the, the warmth and the connection and wants to come with us on this journey where we present a lot of questions um, and you will hear our influences. Uh, you will hear Sun Ra, you will hear the blues, you will hear spoken word, you will hear um, Afro-Caribbean rhythms that we associate with like rituals and, um, you know, holidays and carnival and some of the um, intergenerational celebrations that characterize our our background and you'll also hear you know three individuals contemporary artists you'll hear women and our stories speaking through those influences and hopefully that um pulls a certain <laughs> uh expansiveness out of the listeners and we love to, you know, there's no improvisation for us unless we're in a circumstance where, you know, we're with an audience. And so they're a huge inspiration for us. And the, the energy we feel from the audience is what inspires what we play. Um, they're like the fourth person in the band. Um, it's not like we come with things sort of in a can and just open it for, you know, and say dinner is served, this audience and that energy, the, you know, vibration of the space that we're in and the city and the environment is all in the music. It's all in what we, what we play. Um, so we hope that they just, folks just feel welcome to feel a lot and to dream and imagine and reimagine. Um, that's, that's our greatest hope, the connection. So how did this talented trio come together? Well, um, you know, I'm an archivist, and that for me means that I'm um, sometimes, you know, quite frequently, like many musicians, singing other people's compositions and um, always in relation to the canon, the musical canon, um, whether it's jazz or classical music, American Songbook, um, so I have a very, like the three of us have, you know, a very, um, active participation in, in that as, as jazz artists. 
Um, and I also have a background in um, humanities. I was an African-American studies major. I um, went to Columbia Law School. I'm very uh, aware of literature, film, um, you know, notions of citizenship and, um, and you know, social justice movements. Those things are always present in my imagination and how I choose repertoire. And then when I met Val um, through a performance we did at Jazz Lincoln Center, we had a fantastic musical conversation. <laughs> we improvised the day we met and I mean before an audience at Jazz Lincoln Center and it didn't feel like pressure. It felt like another homecoming and a new uh, dimension that we found that we felt just right for us. We continued in the studio and we were uh, playing and talking. I mean, like, uh, you know, subsequently, like we're both, uh, we're New Yorkers and we'd get together and, and play and talk. We became friends and she's like, you know, a colleague of mine at Berkeley is, I think, the, that piece that we need to make this triangle you know, and I said, tell me, and she said, Mimi Jones, and I said, I love Mimi Jones. I had just met her at a Recording Academy um, Women in Jazz event, and she told me about some of her compositions, and I had, of course, heard her play. Uh, her reputa reputation, you know, precedes her, like, she's amazing, and when we got together at New Blue at the time, it was just so, so breathlessly um, beautiful and moving, and we all felt this joy. And we could feel that people with us in the audience felt the joy too. And they just enjoyed seeing us together and watching us, you know, move through this performance. And we loved it. And so we, we kept it. Um, and, you know, we're so, we've since collaborated with dancers. I have since expanded my visual arts practice. And so I've created, uh, different projections that I trigger through the performances. Uh, you can see some of those online. And we're just always looking to expand. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, kind of your beginnings in music. Where were you born or raised? And how did, you know, music and more specifically jazz become this world that it's become today? Well, um, I used to think that I was the first artist in my family. And I, as a, as I matured into an adult, I realized not so. Um, I'm of Jamaican parentage. I was born in New York, uptown, where my parents immigrated. And their parents immigrated to all to New York. Subsequently, I grew up in Florida because of my parents and their careers and returned to New York after um, going to Harvard for college. And at that time, I wasn't sure how to navigate as a musician professionally because I didn't ever see that um, in my own, I guess, like sphere, my family or anything. And um, I went, um, I was accepted to Columbia Law School. I went to law school. And I was very focused in immigration law. I did a clerkship um, in that. And I had 
you know, some wonderful opportunities and published a note. Um, and I studied with Kimberly Crenshaw, who is the world-renowned scholar very much at the forefront of the conversation on critical race theory. And um, intersectionality is a term that she coined. And I was all in that, I was in that mix. And, and I realized that there's something I really wanted to say that felt like it was still coming through music rather than law. And I applied for um, a master's in music. I got a scholarship to Westminster Choir College, and I started a career in opera. Um, that was not a shock to me. I was all through Harvard. I was um, singing and exploring classical music, among others. Like, I, I sang many kinds of music in college. <laughs> and growing up, it was more musical theater and um, before I was any kind of soloist, it was music in church. Um, and before I remember church, I remember music at home. Uh, dub, reggae, soca, all the musics that Caribbean children grow up with were a vibrant part of my, like, earliest memories. Um, somewhere in there, I, I started piano lessons also. Um, but as I mentioned at the beginning... The first artist in my family, it wasn't me. It was actually my grandmother's. They were both designers, um, you know, fashion designers, and they had a private clientele and a day job, um, working multiple jobs to support our family and, you know, foster a new life in the United States. Uh, they weren't properly accredited, and their name wasn't on the label, but uh, my paternal grandmother in particular was a like a kind of ghost designer for a, a large fashion designer. Um, and the two of them would make things for everyone in the family and even make things for each other. And that, I think, has so much to do with the way I see music. I see it as something that um, I dream up and I sort of, cut to the shape of what I've dreamed and the genre is not really um, you know ultimately determinative of, of what I'm going to make and Night Beauty has been great in that regard because um, that's really what we do. We have the story and then we, we you know manifest the sound that tells that story. So tell me, what was the very first live jazz show you ever saw that really inspired you? Mm. Boy, I think because I, the the jazz, I my first exposure to jazz was in my grandparents' apartment. And um, my grandparents, uh, my grandmother is still with us. She's 100 years old. And they lived in a building where my father immigrated to um, in Queens, one of the jazz buildings called Dory Miller. And their best friends were the Heaths. So um, Jimmy and Mona Heath. And at the time, they were just Mr. and Mrs. Heath to me. Um, in that building, before I was born, uh, Cannonball Adderley lived. Um, there were just, my grandfather was a taxi driver. And he also uh, drove Thelonious Monk. <laughs> um, and so these, this was like a place, this was like my weekend 
every weekend was this. Um, weekdays were Catholic school um, on the, in the suburbs, and weekends were in this environment, and I was hearing a lot of records, and my grandfather loved vocalists, had seen Billie Holiday, both grandparents had seen her many times. The first jazz that really spoke to me in a way where I felt like I could understand it was um, actually probably not, it's not really jazz, but it was Wynton Marsalis and Kathleen Battle and this PBS special that they did um, that used to air for years on PBS. I, um, at this point, I was in Florida and um, wasn't able to really go to clubs. Like I told you, I wasn't, I'm kind of, I'm the first professional musician in my family, so I wasn't in a club environment. But I was watching the two of them uh, navigate their backgrounds and, like, work together to, to find a sound. And I was totally fascinated, and I thought they just looked so cool and so... Um, found a way to be so comfortable in the um, Baroque music element while also knowing that they could sing and play in many styles. You hear um, Witten playing jazz and you hear Kathleen Battle singing gospel and then they come together and make this record, which is a third thing, and they're creating ornaments and I was like, I like the flow of all of this. Um, and then I had the privilege which is the magic of being an artist that it's hard to express when people ask, you know, whether you're famous or not, like extraordinary things occur. And uh, I worked with uh, Winton and recorded with Winton years later. So magical things happen for us. Um, and for me, one of the, those, those moments was um, getting to work um, with Winton years later at Jazz at Lincoln Center and uh, performing a piece that was so um, important to him, the Abyssinian Mass, and ultimately touring it for a month with Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra and um, being a part of that uh, double album. And so the full circle of that is just like phenomenal to me. Um, and yeah, I think, I mean, um, Certainly, like, some of the the best concerts and the most exciting concerts for me. Uh, I love Rochelle Farrell. I love Diane Reeves, um, Cassandra Wilson. I, I'm always listening. I love Jean Baylor. Um, a lot of the – there's just so many great uh, concerts that I've I've seen, um, and I'm, I guess, always a study of – a student of the voice. So I'm always interested to um, – Hear singers, Dee Dee Bridgewater's huge influence um, in so many ways. I was listening to I when I, you know, got to, you know, meet Dee Dee through the Woodshed Network. I'm a, a, a an alum of the uh, Women in Jazz Fellowship that she runs called Woodshed Network, and I was like, boy, I used to listen to you on the radio, um, you know, Jazz Night in America, and how how radical and amazing that was to hear a vocalist as the presenter. Um, it's just so important to, uh, you know, tell our own stories. And uh, so those are always the kind of artists that I'm kind of gravitating to at, in jazz and, and uh, you know, no matter what music it is. 
So tell me why Night Beauty works. You got three separate talents coming together. Why does this band work? I think that there is a. I be, I know there is a um, transcendent human connection, which is always why um, people, you know, audiences are fall in love with 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 the band. We have this riveting human connection and a, a mutual passion for the stories that we want to tell. Um, they feel, they always feel like shared stories, even though we've all have our own journeys and, you know, lived different lives. Um, and I, I think that just, that underpins the whole experience. I also feel, as I said, you know, everything we do, we are always with the audience. They're never going to be catching up because we're all finding it in the same moment. You know, we're all breathing the same air as we <laughs> improvise. And um, we couldn't t start to tell them what's coming next because um, we're learning it ourselves <laughs> when they do. And you just have to be there. Um, in the same regard, everything we make is just for the people who are there. So that's us as well. Um, and then when we finish, we're like just uh, euphoric because it, it feels like a gift, you know? Um, so we just, and it always it always feels like that for Night Beauty. It's, it's this refreshment. And um, it has no, it has no end. So it's, it's it's really nothing less than what I just said. It's really all of those things to us. <laughs> yeah, and what an eloquent way of putting it. It's Night Beauty is such a sonic refreshment, and for anyone out there that wants to pick up the album or see you live, where's the best place for them to go to to get all of this and and to either see you or get your music? Oh well, thank you. That means so much to us. Um, and the album is available uh, wherever you buy CDs and vinyl uh, is is coming right up. Um, of course, you can follow us on Spotify. That would be awesome. And we're on Instagram and, um, you know, anywhere that you, you, if you like to stream music or you can buy music on Bandcamp or any record shop. Um, and then we have some very exciting performances coming up at the Apollo Theater the Festival of Arts and Ideas, which is uh, curated uh, this season by the um, really amazing writer Tanahasi Coates, and that festival includes uh, you know many artists that you just love, like uh, Stefan Harris, and um, just many um, like a range of, of um, artists um, who will be performing and and speaking and. Yeah, that's at the Apollo on Sunday, October 8th. I'm thrilled about that. And then we have some uh, residencies we'll do. Uh, we'll be coming to uh, Providence, Rhode Island in November. And we'll be out west uh, in California for a West Coast tour uh, early next year. And we have some... A uh, beautiful festival opportunities uh, for everybody listening coming up that uh, they want us to wait to announce. 
So <laughs> you can follow us and watch that space, and we'll share with you as soon as the tickets are, are available and announcements can be made. Wonderful, Candace. Thank you so much for taking a minute out to talk about the band so eloquently, about the music. Best of luck with everything. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we're really happy to be here, and we appreciate the support as we're embarking on this journey. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Los Angeles, New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Candace for her time, energy, and story. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.